Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. As you can hear from our scripture reading this morning, it'll be a light and fluffy Sunday. My name is Will Vakurvich. I'm one of the pastors here. And yes, we'll just address it at the outset. I have a black eye. So uh, rather than tell this story a thousand times, I'll just tell it during the 9 and the 11. Um, Here's what happened. About seven months ago, my boys uh, started doing martial arts. And um, I know what you're thinking. My boys did not beat me up, although they would love to tell that story. Um, no, so, so uh, our boys, one of the things that they do is jujitsu, and the coaches there really wanted my oldest to do a jujitsu tournament. And so our youngest son, in this like act of solidarity, is like, I'll do the tournament with you. Cause he was just feeling really nervous and like, ah, oh, everyone's gonna see me and you know, whatever. And so then me being like the like kind dad, but not like smart dad was like, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> now there's a big distinction. My, both of my boys have done jujitsu for seven months. I have not. So I'm gonna be doing a jujitsu tournament in April and I need to learn jujitsu. So this is from learning jujitsu, <laughs> yeah. Nothing exciting, there was no like awesome move. I was just clumsy and kind of like awkwardly fell into someone's leg as they awkwardly stumbled into my face. So yeah, I wish I had a good story. Josh is like, dude, like tell, tell like a story, like you jumped in front of a widow to like save her from a car, like it's justice, right? Nah, just awkwardness, that's all. So, so there's that. On top of that, as somebody who grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, I also have people wearing Chiefs jerseys in the front row. So I'll try to deal, I'll try to deal. Uh, Guys, we're gonna be in Malachi, end of chapter two, beginning of chapter three today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out. If not, one of our ushers would love to get you a Bible, just raise your hand. If you don't own a copy of God's word, please consider this our gift to you. We would love for you to take this Bible home so that you can grow in your knowledge and understanding of who God is as communicated through his word. So, as, as we heard from our scripture reading, and as we'll see as we enter into God's word, Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 17, uh, we're going to be talking about justice today. And it doesn't take very long for us to be confronted with the injustice of our community. And in a few minutes, when you guys leave, you turn out onto Southern, you will most likely see people experiencing homelessness on most of the street corners pass. We, we know um, as we turn on the news, as we read the newspaper, we're confronted with scene after scene, headline after headline of injustice. And what do we do with this? I, I pulled up some stats. You know, I think it's really easy to get lost in kind of the global or even national statistics, but just local, local things in regards to justice. Uh, there are around 14,000 kids in foster care in Arizona. 14,000 children in foster care in Arizona. In Maricopa County alone, every day, between 20 and 30 children will enter into the foster care system. Every single day, 20 to 30 kids enter into foster care in Maricopa County. In Arizona, there's about 36,000 people experiencing homelessness, or about one in every 184 of us. Maricopa County holds about 61% of our population, but over 71% of the homelessness uh, in our state. 
The number of refugees allowed to relocate to Arizona decreased from 4,100 in 2016 to 998 in 2018. This one is, is uh, not specific to our location, but it was so striking. I was speaking with uh, Melissa Stone, who runs our special needs ministry. She let me know, 80% of individuals with a disability who can communicate have experienced reporting abuse at some point in their life. So 80% of people with a disability who are able to verbally communicate have reported experiencing abuse in their life. Just this week, uh, in our county, they, they, police targeted uh, Phoenix, Tempe, Mesa, and Chandler. 27 men were arrested. This is on Thursday. 27 men arrested in our county trying to engage in inappropriate relationships with minors. It doesn't take long for us to start to feel that tension in our gut. It doesn't take long for us to start to feel the weight of, this is not the way things are supposed to be. It doesn't take long for us to start to ask questions like, if God is good, and if God is in control, where is he? How does God allow this to continue? And we see this. We see this in our communities. I was speaking with somebody who, uh, who told me that they grew up going to a Catholic church. And then they saw scandal after scandal, cover-up after cover-up. And, and you know, she looked at me and just said, how could I believe in that God? These are weighty questions, and we should feel this. We should feel this deeply, because these are fellow image bearers who are experiencing injustice. Where is God in this? And this is where our passage starts. If you guys will open up with me to Malachi chapter 2, we'll start in verse 17. This is what the text says. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So we see the people have these two statements against God that have wearied him. The first is saying, God delights in the wicked, and the second is asking, where is this God of justice? I think a lot of times we see this in Israel, and if we're honest with ourselves, in our own lives, our questions quickly turn to accusations. I'm not really asking a question here. It's more an accusation of who God is. They're attacking his character. Where is the God of justice? We look around, we see these things. Where is the God of justice? We heard the scripture reader talk about the, the list of sins that, that God will, uh, will judge. So we get an insight into what's going on in the community. There's sorcery, there's adultery, they're bearing false witness, they're uh, oppressing the hired worker, they're mistreating widows and orphans, thrusting aside the sojourner or the foreigner in their community. There's this deep sense of injustice. Where is the God of justice? Now, hear me clearly on this. God is not wearied because they ask a question. God is not against us asking him questions. If, he, if God were against us asking him questions, we would have to erase like most of the Psalms, right? 
Most of the Psalms are like, God, where are you? Like, God, what are you doing? Like, how long, O Lord, right? God is not against us asking questions. But when these questions start to turn to accusations, where is the justice? How can God be good? That's a different thing. That's a different thing. And as we walk through the text, we'll see this is, Israel are not the people. These are not the people to ask God this question. So they ask God, where is the justice? This is this accusation. And so this raises our question of, well, how is God going to respond? We know that he's weary. But as the people continually ask, where is the justice? Let's see how God responds. Picking up in in chapter three, verse one, God says this. Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So the people are asking this question, really making this accusation against God's character, and he responds, well, be careful what you ask for. You wanna know where the God of justice is? The God of justice is coming, and it's not gonna be a happy day. Who can endure, who can withstand the day of the Lord's coming? And he goes on to describe this day of purification. The first image that he uses is this image of a refiner's fire, someone who's working with silver and they melt the silver down. They heat it up to the point that it's, it's boiling and the impurities in the metal rise to the surface so that it can be scraped clean. And then they go through this process again. And then they go through this process again. And at this point, I start remembering when my family started going to church and we used to sing this song about the refiner's fire with like smiles on our faces. And then I start thinking about being boiled and scraped, and I think like, maybe not. Maybe not so much. Maybe this isn't like an exciting thing that I should be eagerly anticipating. But this is a sense of judgment. This is a painful image. The next image he uses is the image of Fuller's soap, which I don't know about you, but I had no idea what that is. So I had to Google it. And what I found was, um, uh, what a fuller did is, so the shepherd you know, has the sheep and then they would shear the sheep so they have all the raw wool. And if you've seen sheep in nature, they're dirty and like pretty gross, right? So the wool is not white. So the fuller takes the wool and he cleans it so that it can be white and then useful for making whatever they're gonna make with the wool. So the process of the fuller soap is they use this harsh, acidic soap, similar to lye, very caustic, to scrub the wool. Then they violently drown the wool, soak it in water, throw it on a big flat rock, and beat and stomp the impurities out of the, like this? Okay, that's the image. The image is not like, oh, fuller soap, like a bubble bath with like a glass of wine and jazz music on. That's not the image here. This is a violent, ground and pound, caustic image of God purifying his people for a purpose. 
So the people have wearied God by making these accusations against him. Where is the justice? You delight in wickedness. And God responds. He says, okay, you want to do this? Let's do this. God brings this day of judgment through his messenger who purifies his people through the burning away of their impurities. He cleanses his people by the acidic beatdown <laughs> of his judgment so that, so that the offering of the people may be pleasing again. There's a purpose here. God's not just angry and throwing a temper tantrum and he beats his people up. That's not God's character. God has a purpose in this. God also identifies that there is a lack of justice within his people. And so he takes action. He, he can't not take action. Because the central issue here is that God's people are commanded to reflect his character, who he is. See, this is the issue. The people are questioning who God is after God has already given them clear commandments to embody who he is. Think through the Ten Commandments. It's not just like this, you know, potluck, smorgasbord of like, oh, I guess these things are important. No, it starts with there is one God because there is one God. So because there is one God, this is true, you shall serve no other gods. You, you heard the things listed. You shall not commit adultery because God is faithful. You shall be faithful. You shall not bear false witness because God is true. He does not lie. He is trustworthy. Therefore, you be trustworthy. We go through the commandments that are concerned with justice laws. You will care for the vulnerable because God cares for the vulnerable. To not do that is to distort God's character to the watching nations. Israel is preaching heresy with their lies. Their behaviors are proclaiming a, a, a God who is not the true God. It's a distorted image. And because God cares deeply about his creation, because God loves his people, because God wants to extend this mission which invites all in to be reconciled to him, then he has to act decisively. God acts with such force and violence and wrath because he loves the world. And his chosen method of displaying his love to everyone else is portraying a distorted image of who he is. To thrust aside the sojourner is to display a God who does not care about the vulnerable. And that simply is heresy. God cares deeply about the vulnerable. These things that God lists as the sins that are to be judged are not just like, I don't know, if you're one of those like justice warriors, then you can care about these things. That's not what it is. It's deeply connected with God's very character, the essence of who God is. That's why he cares. That's why he acts. That's why we see this forceful imagery of, of boiling the impurities out, of beating the uncleanness, uncleanliness, whatever that would be, the dirt out of his people. Because God loves the world. Because God is a God of justice. And his people follow his commandments to display what he's like to the watching world. 
I've heard the story told of, of two old men who are, you know, kind of like sitting outside a church contemplating the deep questions of life. And, you know, one says, man, I, I really I have this question I would love to ask God, but I'm scared. And the other old man says, well, why would you be scared? You know, you can ask God anything. What, what would you ask him? He says, I would ask God, why do you allow so much homelessness? Why do you allow so much hunger? Why do you allow murder and war and oppression? Why do you allow all of this stuff in the world? But I'm just too scared to ask him. His friend says, why are you scared to ask that? That's a great question. He says, I'm scared to ask him because I'm scared he's gonna ask me the same question. Why do you allow so much homelessness? Why do you allow so much hunger? Why do you allow so much injustice? Israel was given the task of displaying God's character to the nations. So when they go back and ask God, where is the justice, knowing that this was their job to embody justice, we can see how this is more of an accusation, right? Like, I love, do you ever see on like Facebook or whatever, there's those videos or like, you know, the pictures of like, you had one job, right? Like I saw one and it was classic. It's like the guys that paint the lines on the road, literally like painted over roadkill. Like that's gonna be there forever. Or like crooked, you know, or like the people that do the tile or, you know, whatever. And it's all like disjointed. And like, you had one job, like spell the words right on the sign. Like, come on, you had one job. Israel, you had one job. Display God's character. But instead, they have lived a life that shows a distorted version of what God's character is, of who God is. So we see God brings about this wrath, this judgment. And there is a group that is refined, that is purified, whose offerings are pleasing to the Lord again. But there's another group who's not. And that's where the passage goes. Picking up in chapter three, verse five. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And so we have this this grouping of people, and and we have a a visual to kind of help unpack what I think is going on here in this text. So um, what we see with sorcerers is that God has clearly established who he is and how he is to be worshiped. So to practice sorcery or something outside of that is to stand against the way God has designed his relationship with humanity to work. We see that God establishes a design for family to work in a healthy way. To commit adultery is to stand against that design for family. We see God has established a design for how community is supposed to work. We're supposed to be truthful and honest and kind with one another. If we're swearing falsely, We're standing against or opposing God's design for relationship with community. There's intentionality in these categories, see? When we stand against the hired worker, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, we're opposing ourselves to the way God has designed our relationship with the vulnerable 
to be. A couple things to notice here. Number one, there is an assumption, there is an assumption that the widow, the orphan, the hired worker, and the sojourner will be a part of the community. That we will know their names. That we will know where they live. We'll know their children, maybe. We'll, we'll know what they need. We'll know their prayer requests. We'll have interaction with them. That's the assumption, okay? God cares about the vulnerable. We see this throughout the Old Testament and the New. And, and one of the things that has come to mind as we're talking about how God's people are to display his character, we know that God is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit that God himself exists within community, within relationship. The vulnerable that are identified have been marginalized out of relationship, right? The widow has lost her spouse. The orphan has lost their parents. The, the hired worker was actually more vulnerable than the slaves because at least the slaves were attached to a family unit. The hired worker was just disposable. There's no connection to community, to the stability and safety that comes with community. The same with the sojourner. They've come from somewhere else into Israel. There's a lack of community. So for Israel to display a community that is not inclusive of these vulnerable people groups is to testify against the communal nature of who God is. Because God exists in community and provides a way for us to enter into community, then we should embody the same. To keep these marginalized communities out of our community or at arm's length is to distort who God is. So there's swift condemnation here. I love, it goes on to sum all of these categories up this distortion of relationship with God, with family, with community, and with the vulnerable, is simply they do not fear the Lord. There is no fear of God if these are the continued behaviors. They do not fear the Lord. Guys, I gotta be honest. When I think of like the sorcery, the sorcerers don't fear the God, like, okay, I, I, I get there. It is deeply convicting for me to think how I treat, how I interact with the vulnerable in my community also shows whether or not I fear God. That's heavy, and I do this stuff as my job, <laughs> okay? I was talking to a friend who said, man, I'm so glad, I'm so glad I'm not the one preaching this passage, which like you never wanna hear as the guy who's preaching the passage, you know? That's kind of a weird thing to say. But he said like, I feel like this would be hard to connect with people. Like, I mean, I think about myself. I don't know a sorcerer. I don't think I know an adulterer. I try not to lie. You go, gosh, I don't even know a widow, an orphan, a sojourner, a hired worker. I'm like, yeah, that? That is actually the problem. I have a quote from uh, a Peruvian theologian, Gustavo Gutierrez, who says it way better than I could. He says, you say you love the poor. Good. What are their names? Thank you. So I don't think how God is shaping his people through the text is by simply saying, oh, you don't oppress a hired worker, good job. Oh, you didn't 
physically thrust aside a sojourner. Good job, you hit the mark. I don't think that's what God is getting at in this passage. God is continually shaping and forming his people to be a people who reflect his character. One of the primary ways we do that is by embodying justice. Because God is a God of justice. His wrath burns when the vulnerable are oppressed. And this is the like reading rainbow moment, right? You guys old enough to remember reading rainbow, you don't have to take my word for it. So look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14. This is why God can like get angry about this. This was a law that was given to his people. This is what God says. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, uh, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. This has been clearly commanded. We can go through each of these sections and see how God has clearly commanded this. One more quick one, Exodus 22, I think describes this well. Exodus 22 and verse 21 through 24. what it says. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. It's almost like they knew this passage, huh? <laughs> if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. God cares about the vulnerable. God ties his people's concern with the vulnerable to their own history. You were foreigners in Egypt. I liberated you from that. How could you oppress a foreigner in your land? You were fatherless. You were the widows. You were the ones that were being crushed under the weight of injustice, and I brought justice for you. How could you continue to do those same things that you've been freed from? God's heart for justice burns brightly because his people have experienced the blessings of his justice. And can't we say the same thing? Can't we say we have felt the weight of sin? And for those of us who know the freedom that Jesus brings, we have experienced this deeply. We know what it feels like to feel on the margins of our communities. We know what it feels like to be in a crowded room of people and feel alone and just wish someone would speak to us. We know what this feels like. And yet how often do we continue to walk by, pretend that we don't see, shield our eyes, look the other way, and move on with our lives? not just pointing the finger. I feel it too. I do it too. 
we try to teach our boys, and then, you know, like, you try to teach your kids things, and then it comes back to bite you, right? Like, we need to care, you know, for the people experiencing homelessness, and then they're like, hey, can we just invite this guy to stay at our house? You're like, whoa, don't care that much. (laughs) It's real life, I'm telling you. Guys, this is a call to accurately display who God is with our whole lives. So as we think about these things, a lot of times these conversations of justice will kind of like stay somewhat abstract and like we should really care for it and you know like care for the homeless people and do the good stuff and whatever. Uh, But sometimes it's hard to like get traction, like wrap your arms around like what does this actually mean? I've heard somebody say that um, justice is love with skin on. I like that. So here's just three quick thoughts, uh, kind of pastoral uh, thoughts on what do we do with justice? How do we think through this in our own practical everyday lives? The first question that I have is, who are you? Who are you? What do you care about? What are you good at? What is that Netflix documentary that you watched that you just cannot believe the injustice and you couldn't believe that that was happening and somebody's got to do something? What's that fire? Identify that thing. Because the reality is we cannot care about everything. Only God can do that. So what do you care about? What are you passionate about? What are the things that you see that just make your blood boil? Maybe that's a sign of an area that God is calling you to. Second question to consider, where are you? Where are you? Right now we're in Tempe. You have a job somewhere, hopefully. Where can you seek justice in that job? My guess for most of us is our job does not include geopolitical policy that's gonna shape the trajectory of the entire world. So don't try to do that. Uh, We probably, most of us, there may be some exceptions, don't even have within our sphere of influence the ability to shape the, the trajectory of our nation. Okay, let's be honest. Most of us don't know what district we live in nor who our elected officials are, right? Okay, so where are you? What is within your sphere of influence that you can seek justice in. If you're in education, how can you, see, how can you seek justice in the education system? If it's within your scope, how can you seek justice within the, within the criminal reform system? How can you seek justice as a stay-at-home mom? What does that look like? Where are you? What are the limitations in your life? What are just the real life? Look, we have two kids. That limits a lot of what I can do with my life. They're great, but they put boundaries on what I can do right now. We have to know those things, okay? Who are you? Where are you? Finally, do something. Do something. Notice what I'm saying here. There are probably two groups of people. First group is gonna hear this sermon. Justice, widows, orphans, yeah, do something. I gotta do something else. And this person is probably leading an RC and engaged in like three of our city outreach groups and going on the trips to Guatemala. And now they're like, ah, I should probably foster eight kids too. (laughs) Okay, if that's you, I did not say do everything. 
Only God can do everything. Okay. That's about 20% of us. 80% of us, this is what we see. Oh, you know what? Man, I'm just so thankful to be a part of a church that does so much. <laughs> and there are just these great people. They're doing, you know, some kind of thing with like refugees, I think. And I think there's like homeless people around or something. I don't know. But isn't that great? Do something. Okay? You're not, no one is telling you you have to do everything. Also, no one is saying that you get to check that box because someone sitting next to you is doing it. God's commands are for all of his people. We don't get to choose if we're gonna display God's character today or not. If we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus. That means we do the things that he did. We care about the things that he cared about. We live in a way that he calls us to live. If we're identifying with God's people, then we understand this stuff is not an elective. It's a core class. We all have to take it. We all have to take it. This isn't just for that justice crowd that's always posting stuff on Facebook and filling up your feed that gets so annoying. This is for all of us. Do something. So those are the questions to ask. What, what is burning inside of you? Who, who are you? Who's God created you to be? Where are you? What are the real life boundaries and limitations that, you, that you're experiencing right now? I was talking to a really good friend and, and he would say, man, I, just, I feel like I gotta do more, I gotta do more. And I was like, hey, dude, literally, literally you're leading an RC. You just had a baby. You're about to finish your master's program. Like, you're okay. You're okay. Jesus can handle it. Talk to somebody else who was just telling me about how you know, passionate they were for justice and just aren't doing anything but reading Facebook blogs. Eh, you should probably do something else. You should probably get engaged with the work. Actually know someone's name. Serve in some capacity. So we don't want to just leave you empty-handed. Uh, this is Serve Sunday. So as you guys leave here today, there will be tables that we have intentionally put in your way. You have to walk by them. And these are opportunities to serve. You can serve with kids on Sunday. You can serve with special needs ministry. You can serve with our city outreach groups. You can get to know folks experiencing homelessness or you, you know, folks who need a little extra help at the Rio Vista Center. You can partner with, there's teams doing phenomenal work with refugee families in our community. This, you have the opportunity, guys. It can move from like the abstract issue that sometimes you think about to a family who's involved in your life. So there's opportunities with Serve Sunday. Um, one of the best, most shaping ways that I have learned about justice was actually stepping outside of my context and learning about it from someone different than me. So for me, that looked like trips at first to Mexico, then Ecuador, and more recently, Guatemala. We have a Guatemala info night, if this is something you're interested in, February 16th from 6 to 7.30 in the multi-purpose room in the back corner of our campus. There's a sign-up sheet for that. We'll get you all the info you need. We're trying to give as many opportunities for you guys as we can. Not just, you know, give the like, oh, I gotta go do something, the conviction message, but actually like, here are outlets for you guys to engage in. So 
plenty of opportunities for you to serve, plenty of opportunities for you to embody God's character of justice. But as we come to the table today, I want to remind us of one of those statements, one of these hard statements in the middle of the passage, who can endure the day of the Lord? Who can endure this day? For a lot of us, we know the ways that injustice has been committed against us. For all of us, we know that we have committed injustice in some way or another. So who can endure the day of the Lord? The answer is none of us. You can go on all the mission trips you want. You can serve in every single city outreach group that we have. Still can't endure the day of the Lord. But God so loved us. God so loved the world. God so loved those who have been oppressed, those who have been crushed under the weight of injustice, that he sent his son to put on flesh and walk amongst us, to embody pure justice, to embody pure love, to provide a way for us to receive grace and forgiveness and love, to move from the margins of society into God's family. Jesus, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, provided a way for us to endure that day of the Lord. He welcomes us into his family to look like, to resemble the Father, to resemble other family members throughout history who have embodied this well. Believers in the early church who saw outbreaks of plague and sickness and disease and instead of running away and isolating themselves, moved in to care for the sick. People who spoke up throughout history saying, no, 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 this is unjust and God will not stand for this. Therefore, his people will not stand for this. Believers who worked hard to defeat, whether it was slavery, the women's suffrage movement, time after time, issue after issue, Martin Luther King, who we just celebrated, using the gospel and the implications of the gospel to help break the injustice during the civil rights movement. Jesus sent his spirit to empower his people to do these things. And he says, you will do more than me. This is the invitation, church that we get to come to the table to be reminded of Jesus who freely gave his body for us, spilt his blood on our behalf. And as we take the cracker and dip it into the juice or the wine, that is the food which nourishes the embodiment of justice and what is right in our lives. This is the little glimpse of the coming kingdom when there will be no more pain. There will be no more brokenness, no more sickness, no more sadness, when all things will be fully reconciled. We get to see a glimpse of this in the ways we display the kingdom now. So we ask, where is the justice? Well, the justice came through Jesus. And now we get to just bear witness to how the justice is playing out in our communities. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you that you care. You care about the big global injustice 
You care about the injustice that has been committed to, against each of us. You care about the injustice that we commit. Father, we feel on a day like this the weight of how broad the scope of sin is, how it distorts so much and does, does violence to so much of your good creation. And we're just so thankful, Lord, that as big as sin is, the Savior is bigger. Lord, your love and your grace and your forgiveness are bigger. And so, Spirit, would you move? Would you stir in us? Would you fan the flames, Lord? Show us the directions that you would have us pursue justice. Show us the opportunities that you're opening up. Bring people to mind. Bring things to mind that you would have us um, enter into in order to display what your kingdom is like on earth as it is in heaven. We cannot do this on our own. We need you, Jesus. And we thank you that you come with us. We love you. Help us to love you more. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.